What's up, New Haven? You're listening to Elm City Speaks, a podcast that explores stories of social justice and public service leaders in our community. In this two-episode series, we would like to introduce Dwight Hall, the Center for Social Justice and Public Service at Yale. Today, we'll be your hosts. I'm Savannah. And I'm Max. Dwight Hall is a nonprofit organization with affiliation to Yale that is a resource for New Haven community partners as well as student-run service clubs. Dwight Hall, lovingly referred to as The Hall, is run by a full-time staff, an organizational student committee, and an executive director. We were lucky enough to get in Zoom rooms with past and present Dwight Hall executive directors, tracing the history and evolution of The Hall to explore how it came to be the establishment we know today. Throughout the decades, Dwight Hall has morphed and changed with the times, responding to movements, serving New Haven in different ways, and providing educational resources for Yale students. Today, we'll be talking to David Warren, who became the executive director of Dwight Hall during the peak of several converging civil rights movements in the mid-1900s. But first, we wanted to give you guys a brief history of the Hall and its relationship with the Elm City. Dwight Hall was originally started as a student-run Christian service organization in the 1870s, founded on ideals such as caring for others and encouraging people to serve the greater good of society. In 1886, a building was donated so that those students could commune in a space together. That building still stands on Yale's old campus, nestled between lecture halls, elm trees, and first-year housing. At the same time the organization acquired its home base, it became a fully student-owned society. Soon after, the Yale China Association, formerly known as the Foreign Missions Committee, was created in 1890 as an initial step towards providing international services. Dwight Hall students traveled to spread medical education and serve on religious missions, both being part of a complex history with positive and negative aspects. In the 20th century, Dwight Hall started the Hope Mission, which offered outreach to people experiencing homelessness and alcoholism in the city. This initiated a shift back to focusing on local impact, serving the New Haven community and participating in community activism. In the 1930s, large peace movements started popping up all over the U.S., especially near college campuses. Yale students and New Haveners alike participated in protests for peace against the World Wars. World War II, which started in 1939, was a huge turning point for the university as well as Dwight Hall. Many students enlisted in the Army, and a whole class even got to graduate early in order to participate in the war. After the war, Dwight Hall again shifted to become much more of a traditional charitable organization, as well as a volunteer hub for the university. The next big surge of activism occurred in the 1960s, when the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power Movement spurred social organizing centered around Black liberation. At this time, Yale chaplain Bill Coffin used his position as a white Christian minister to ally with the Southern clergy, encouraging white students at Yale to take action against injustice. With the help of Coffin, Dwight Hall organized students to take part in the famous Freedom Rides, which was a movement led by activists who rode interstate buses into segregated parts of the South in order to challenge antiquated law enforcement. The Hall focused on enfranchisement and allyship in the South leading students where they could be most helpful in nationwide actions. In 1968, there was a convergence of critical national events, including the election year, the Vietnam War, Martin Luther King Jr.'s death, 
feminist movements, and many more. At this time, Herb Cahoon was the executive director of Dwight Hall. He acted as a no BS entity at the Hall and constantly challenged students on their privilege, their assumptions, and the motives behind their actions in New Haven. This brings us to today's special guest, David Warren. During his time as a grad student at the Divinity School in 1968, Herb Cahoon encouraged him to rethink the role of Yale students in New Haven, as well as the relationship between Dwight Hall and the city. David Warren was the executive director of Dwight Hall from 1968 to 1977, filling the shoes of his mentor Cahoon. Projects that he completed, such as the Summer Project, were catalysts for a change in Dwight Hall from an old attitude of saving New Haven to a renewed mission of investing in and learning from leadership in black and brown communities. So David, could you set a scene for us and let us in on what society was like when you first started working with Dwight Hall in 1968? 1968 was among the most tumultuous and unprecedented of years, perhaps more so than any time since the Civil War. And as it turns out, it was also a time where what I would refer to as four movements were all colliding. Uh, surely uh, among them was the anti-war movement, which more than any other had uh, brought students out in response to the escalation in Vietnam, their opposition to it, uh, and a host of issues that surrounded that. Uh, the student movement was well underway, and it, in short, was about asking the question, is the university providing an education that makes sense to students? Is it structured in a way that speaks to their needs? And, and beyond that, is it engaged in activities, national and international, which are contrary to the spirit uh, of the university itself? The, the women's movement was part and parcel of that, and it came at a time when all across America, there were efforts to address the discrimination against women with regard to hiring, with regard to salaries, with regard to uh, conditions under which they worked, and beyond that, the role that they played uh, in the greater society and how and when they would be relieved of uh, the definition, which is they should be anchored at home and raising children. So the civil rights movement perhaps was the trigger point for what created the summer project. It was the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, April of 19, uh, 68, followed by Bobby Kennedy's assassination. And those two issues were a blow to the sense of hope, of peace, of justice, of the optimism that so many students in those four movements had. Thank you for that, David. This time must have been a really crucial point in history for Dwight Hall's work, as it was the intersection of so many societal issues being resurfaced to the public eye what was Dwight Hall's response and what was your role in that? So Dwight Hall, already underway in thinking about how its programming would be most effective uh, uh, on campus and in the city, asked me if I would organize a summer project that would address 
if you will, these four movements, as well as how it is that the hall could build on its own, uh, I think, important history. And so we circulated a, a, an advertisement that said, if you're willing to stay in New Haven over the summer and you have a really interesting idea that you want to explore and you're willing to do it for $500 for the summer, come and interview with us. That was the lure. When the students, 75 of them, came for an interview and there were 25 positions, we said, this is a very important concept and we want to know what your idea is. But secondly, we want to know whether you would be prepared to work with the Neighborhood Association under their leadership on the terms that they require where they thought the issues and the needs were to be found. And if Dwight Hall paid your salary, would you be willing to link up? And the consequence was that uh, we had a, a, a remarkable mix of students who were both focused on the question, are there some new ideas that I haven't ever had a chance to try out? And are there ways that I can come uh, to respond to what the neighborhood says is critical, not which I as a Yale student think? Could you possibly provide us uh, maybe with some examples of what types of projects you were seeing being proposed and executed at this time? There was an organization, Fairhaven Neighborhood, and it wanted to create uh, a legal services program that would address the needs of uh, low-income people around housing questions, around questions dealing um, with employment, uh, about questions uh, dealing with social security, both those who were English and Spanish speaking. So Dwight Hall linked up with students from the law school and created uh, a legal services uh, undertaking in Fairhaven. The next year, by the way, uh, an additional person joined that group. His name was Bill Clinton. Uh, and the legal services project in Fairhaven became his model. For the, for the Legal Services Corporation. So there was a neighborhood association with a very clear objective. And what we did was to bring the resources of Yale to them. But there were also examples of students saying, I have an idea and I want to try it out. As the head of the, the program, I had an idea, which was I wanted to create a free school in which you could established courses which spoke directly to the issues of great concern to students and to people in the community. And it would be a free school. And we would utilize resources in the community as teachers, resources at Yale, both faculty and students. And we would provide the place and the space where the free school meetings could take place or we would have them take place out in the community. I point to the free school because over at least the decade following it, it became the kind of think tank, the place where new ideas were identified, um, explored, uh, and in many instances, the courses rotated into the Yale curriculum for credit. So did you go to Dwight Hall or did Dwight Hall come to you? I was enrolled at both uh, the Divinity School, 
uh, and the School of Art and Architecture and City Planning at that point in time. And I saw in the hall um, that place where I thought the energy, the ideas, and, and the, the human resources were best located. And so I was involved from uh, January on up until the summer project itself in a discussion of Dwight Hall programs and how to go forward. And uh, I did not have any intention of, um, of running the summer project as it were, uh, but I was asked by the committee uh, to do so. And, and I said, I, I would do it subject to, to a couple of conditions. One is that I thought in particular, we needed to turn in a new way to the neighborhoods and say, how can we do best with our resources what you most need? I was lobbying for that, but I also was a strong believer that the programs that Dwight Hall had created up until that point were largely, hey, I have an idea. And they were taken out to the community and people in the community said, uh, yeah, I want to be a part of it. And I thought if we could do both of those, that that would be very important. The second thing I said was, I think what we need to do once we create the summer project is to create in, a, in its own way, our own teach-in once a week. We need to bring people in while the 25 of us meet and talk about issues of race, talk about issues of, of gender, talk about the war. Uh, and be tutored in that process. Uh, the third thing I said is we need to set aside a little fund. We'll call it the Dwight Hall Foundation. And as the summer project participants find a need for money to make the difference in something they need to do, we as a group could vote funds to help uh, make that possible. And so uh, the committee that appointed me said, well, okay. Uh, and so I hired on as a college work study student uh, for $37.50 a week. And the students were there for 10 weeks on, on $500. We called it a princely sum. Um, and the, the final criteria that I said would be critical in selecting them is that students would assure that whatever project they were involved in would continue past the summer, that they would not leave. And we knew that that was one of the problems with Dwight Hall programs, that students would, of course, leave in the summer and or students would graduate and programs mid-course would find themselves without any leadership. And so that was a condition of students being hired and they understood as they began their project, they needed, needed to assure continuity. You mentioned having community members come like almost tutor the Dwight Hall uh, cabinet. What were those sessions like? Was the dialogue open and did Dwight Hall feel like a space where it was both community and Yale students or did it feel divided at all? Well, initially it, it felt like uh, Yale students and an outsider. Uh, and John Wilhelm, who's fabled in Yale history as uh, the organizer of uh, uh, the Yale Union, um, 
himself two years uh, at, living in a Yale college, and then he was the first student in the history of Yale to move off campus and move into the Hill neighborhood. He was, uh, among other things, one of my closest friends, and he talked about that transition from Yale and into the community. He was the first. We brought people related to, to the women's movement to come and talk. And, and of course, around the war in Vietnam, we brought individuals. So increasingly, what we had were outsiders who came in to help us understand these issues, and that these issues then began to emerge in the agenda of the free school. Uh, by the end of the summer, Dwight Hall was a meeting place for the entire New Haven community. The common room was a place to come for a discussion about lead paint poisoning, a place to come about dealing with the New Haven schools, a place to come and talk. You talk about uh, the Dwight Hall Common Room being a center for important discussions in New Haven, and, and I know that May Day was a critical day during your time at Yale. Could you talk more about Dwight Hall's role in these May Day discussions in New Haven? And for our listeners back home who do not know the connection between May Day and Dwight Hall, during the May Day 1970 weekend demonstrations in New Haven, Dwight Hall was the epicenter of student planning and response to the events on the New Haven Green. Dwight Hall provided space for numerous workshops and meetings among Yale students, faculty, administrators, and staff, and sponsored discussions with neighborhood leaders, representatives of the Black Panther Party, and members of the Chicago 7. Tens of thousands of Yale students, civil rights activists, professors, Black Panther leaders, and community members gathered on the New Haven Green that day. When we got to May Day 1970, Yale was obviously concerned about 25,000 demonstrators in the National Guard. And Yale became that place at Dwight Hall where all the contending forces came to negotiate. So the Panthers were there, the National Guard was there, the New Haven police were there, City Hall was there, Yale students were there, Yale faculty was there in the common room trying to anticipate how that the event on the Yale Green could transpire without violence and would speak to the issues of racism uh, and the war. And I think that uh, it was in some ways an example, an epitome of how the Hall's resources were made available to the community and played an absolutely critical role in, if you will, keeping the peace at that point in time and also causing uh, a number of individuals, especially Kingman Brewster, uh, to declare uh, it was time to come out against the war, and he did so. It was an enormously important time. I know one of the um, famous tales that Peter always talks about is how, like Dwight Hall, did serve as that meeting place for like the Black Panther Party and. Dwight Hall was transitioning from like more of a religious leaning um, Christian institution into this um, hub for social activism. Um, and he often talks about how, yeah, Dwight Hall, like how is the Black Panther Party um, during these times and was kind of seen as like a safe haven in the midst of what could have been like a very violent um, event and violent time. Were you there in the room for these conversations? Like, what did you observe? Was it um, 
students and community members all talking or was it more of like a smaller group of people kind of organizing around these issues and yeah how did that how did the feel how did the room feel the, the room felt um, uh, like this was a very important significant conversation it was a group maybe of 15 people uh, it was a group focused first and foremost on the question of um, how do we keep the peace and how do we raise the issues at Yale and in the city of the underlying issues of the trial, which was racial discrimination uh, as it was expressed through uh, violence, through the questions of uh, uh, financial inequities, of housing, of education. And so the Panthers came with a fairly sophisticated set of ideas of their own. And um, we learned from them the ways in which uh, they felt we could most effectively make available Dwight Hall and its resources for the greater good of the community and, uh, and for Yale. And can you talk a bit about like what came from those meetings, um, what happened and what agendas you guys covered and implemented? Well, per perhaps the first and most important event was that Yale trained 250 nonviolent marshals. And they created, a, if you will, a cordon sanitaire between the National Guard and, and the demonstrators. Uh, and the peace was kept. Secondly, as a consequence of those conversations, considerable efforts were made at the K through 12 level to take some of the ideas coming out of those conversations and engage Yale and the community in those conversations, sometimes with Dwight Hall as a uh, midwife and sometimes Dwight Hall as a major player. Since David's time as the executive director, the Halls adapted to the changing times and sociopolitical landscapes evolving into what we see today. In our next episode, we will take a deep dive into the forces behind the Hall's dynamic culture as we talk to Peter Crumlish, the current executive director at the Hall. This has been Elm City Speaks, a Dwight Hall podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.